First reading is from Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, verses 11 to 14, and that's on page 1169 of the Church Bibles. Galatians 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it, then, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And the second reading is Galatians chapter 5, two pages later, verses 13 to 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. If you could have that passage open in front of you, it's on page 1169. On April the 25th, 1994, two helicopters flew over North Iraq and they were picked up on radar and two US fighter jets were ordered to take a closer look. They identified them as Russian-built and flowed by Iraqi military and the order was given to destroy them. The two helicopters were struck by air-to-air missiles and crashed to the ground. However, the helicopters were not Iraqi but the U.S. Black Hawk. On board were 26 Allied military and civilian officials. Virtually all the leadership of the Allied Military Coordination Center had been wiped out. 
and the Pentagon set up a task force to avoid what has become known as friendly fire. Very sadly, friendly fire is not unknown among Christians. Too often, wounds incurred in spiritual battles come from friendly guns. Christians have fallen out over leadership issues as well as doctrinal issues. A prospective curate and his family came to see me in my last chat. It emerged that they'd been deeply hurt by people criticizing them about the way they were bringing up their children. I remember the question they asked, how do you think we're bringing up our children? I said, it's none of my business. They were slightly boisterous boys, uh, but they have each grown up to be wonderful Christians. Bill Hybels, the well-known American pastor, wrote about how one summer, just before he went away on his annual holiday, a large parcel arrived for him. His secretary persuaded him to save it until he was on holiday and could enjoy it. When he unwrapped it, he found inside a large Bible and a note which read, Pastor, here is a Bible. I hope it will make your preaching more biblical. Have a good holiday. Yours most sincerely. Well, that's a wonderful way to start a holiday, don't you think? Almost nothing in our spiritual walk is more painful than the hurt caused by a Christian brother or sister. And we can carry the scars for years, and maybe some of you are doing that, things or said or done to you by another Christian. So what can we learn about this from Galatians? If you look on the black of the blue, back of the blue sheets, you'll see that there are some headings there for you. Here's my first point. Friendly fire is not a new phenomenon. Friendly fire is not a new phenomenon. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Here was a very public falling out between Paul and Peter, both leaders and apostles with special authority. Peter had arrived in Antioch and was in the habit of eating regularly with Gentile Christians. But then a group of Judaizers turned up who, as we saw last week, taught that the gospel alone was not enough. For God to bless a new Gentile Christian, they also had to submit to Jewish rituals like circumcision. So they made it clear to Peter, obviously very forcefully, that they disapproved of Jewish Christians eating with uncircumcised Gentile Christians. And as a result, Peter drew back from the Gentile Christians and separated himself from the Gentile Christians because, verse 12, he was afraid. Now this was in spite of the fact that God had given Peter a vision. A vision to show him that ceremonial law was ended. In that vision, Peter saw a great sheet full of animals labeled in the Old Testament as unclean. And he heard a voice saying, kill and eat. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And shortly after that vision, God sent Peter to meet a repentant Gentile, Cornelius, 
who had been spiritually born again. And Peter then realized, as he said to Cornelius, something that's true still to this day, God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him. Now, it's not quite true, so true of this congregation, but in the morning congregation, in our calculations, we have at least 30 nations represented at St. Michael's. And God's gospel, his good news, is for all. And so Peter began eating with Gentiles because God had shown him that no one was unclean in Christ. So when, in this incident in Galatians, he withdrew from the Gentiles, he was guilty, chapter 2, verse 13, of hypocrisy. He had stopped acting according to his convictions because he was frightened of the circumcision group. Fear of man overtook him. Now, this was very serious in Paul's eyes because Peter was not acting, verse 14, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And Peter's hypocrisy, as Keller puts it in his commentary, was infectious. Even Barnabas, a mission partner of the uncircumcised Gentile Titus, was led astray. Which is why Paul had to confront Peter. Peter was guilty of friendly fire in that by his hypocritical actions, he was undermining all that his fellow Christian Paul was teaching about the true gospel, namely that we are saved by faith in Christ alone, not by the works of any ceremonial ritual. It was not a small point. It was a vital point. And, of course, Paul had experienced friendly fire on other occasions. In 2 Timothy 4, he recorded, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And a little later in verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And those two men are recorded for all time for the damage they did to Paul and his ministry. And the Galatians themselves were not innocent of this friendly fire, judging by Paul's comment later in chapter 5, verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So how are you doing? This is pretty strong stuff, isn't it? One commentator says the picture is of rivalries, of separate house groups not speaking with one another, of spiritual pride on the part of those who've been circumcised, and of slogan after slogan being banded about in the communities. And the commentator continues very truly, the picture we draw is sad. Sad because they had adopted the pattern of letting their freedom in Christ become a launching pad for indulging the flesh. If you have been hurt by another Christian, it may help you to know that you are not the first to be wounded in that way. Here's my second point. Satan is behind every incident of friendly fire. Satan is behind every incident of friendly fire. Now, his name is not mentioned in Galatians at all, but he's there nevertheless. He knows that if he can divide Christians and set them off against one another, then the work of the kingdom will be diminished, if not destroyed. He can put his feet up while Christians nurse their wounds. 
And he has a great ally in this. There is a fifth column, namely our own selfish, sinful nature. Listen to Paul again in chapter 5, Galatians, verse 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You see, there's an inner battle for the Christian between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. And Paul powerfully describes this battle in Romans 7. You remember these well-known verses. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Well, we all know what that's like, don't we? Don't we? You can nod if you like. None of us has to look very far below the surface of our lives before we recognize the evil we keep on doing. And Paul lists the kind of things we may discover and the actions they produce in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Just turn over the page and have a look. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. Well, again, it's a pretty horrid list. And do you see how neatly a number of them will fit into the category of friendly fire? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. What are the kind of effects they produce? I want to focus just on two. The first one is a jealous spirit. Both jealousy and envy appear in that list. How much pain is caused between Christians as a result of jealousy and envy? Instead of rejoicing at kingdom victories being won in another corner of the battlefield, in another church, they only see such victories as a threat to themselves. Instead of being thrilled to see growth and people becoming Christians, they only think how that will impact their work. The story is told of the devil crossing the desert when he saw some of his friends tormenting a holy hermit. And the saintly man easily shook off their their wicked and evil suggestions. And the devil watched their failure and said, what you do is too crude. Permit me for a moment. With that, he whispered to the holy man, Your brother, your brother has just been made Bishop of Alexandria. A scowl of malignant jealousy at once crowded the serene face of the hermit, because jealousy is a very powerful weapon. Here's the second one to focus on, a critical spirit. This comes from discord and dissensions, and those appear in chapter 5, verse 20. Do you know that sort of Christian? Whatever is going on, whatever is suggested, they'll find something to criticize. I gave the example this morning, and it's one that actually many of you will understand, because many churches have no children at all. St. Michael's, we are truly blessed in that we have lots. In fact, Juliet was uh, slightly worried this morning. We had so many babies as well. 
And that, in part, is due to many of you who are the volunteers who help us, and thank you again for that, and also I would want to say Juliet's wonderful leadership. But there was criticism at St. Michael's some years ago when the children first joined the morning service for the short time. You know, they come for the first 20 minutes. Rather than rejoicing at this sign of life and encouragement, some had a critical spirit. So I was very proud of a senior member who didn't herself have children. When she heard the criticism, she declared to those guilty of it, the children are non-negotiable. The children are are non-negotiable. So Satan working with our sinful nature can produce all sorts of havoc. And many Christians have been deeply wounded as they get caught up in critical and negative talk. So what can we do about friendly fire? This is my third point. We need to put strategies in place to avoid friendly fire. And here's my first one. Watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And the word translated unwholesome comes from a Greek word meaning rotten. And it's the same word used of rotten apples. The picture is of a box of good apples being carefully stored and the one rotten apple is put among them. Soon the rot has spread to all the other apples. I've seen a group of Christians in a church situation perfectly happy getting on with their work for God. Then a negative and critical Christian arrives and soon they start to to gossip and backbiting and their effectiveness is greatly diminished. On the other hand... I've seen a Christian enter a situation by their positive response to everything, their desire to see Jesus glorified. Christians are built up in their faith and the work of the kingdom is advanced. Some of you may remember Margaret McVeigh, who was our lay reader and used to be a member of this congregation. Margaret was the most positive person I have ever met. And she spread that wherever she went. Because it all comes down to how you use your tongue. Here's my second strategy. Take no notice. Take no notice. What do you do when you find yourself at the receiving end of friendly fire? For example, something said to you or about you that you know to be untrue or unkind. Many years ago, a Christian friend told me that when that happened to him, he had a draw, a special draw marked TNN. Take no notice. And he'd put the hurtful or untrue word in that imaginary drawer and close it. How many quarrels and arguments would have been prevented if Christians had allowed such remarks to vanish into thin air or become like water off a duck's back, rolling off harmlessly? Because when that happens, Satan is totally frustrated. However, take no notice does not always apply. When the gospel is at stake and people may be confused if we say nothing, then like Paul in this case, we may have to confront the one who is causing the friendly fire. Though to do that requires a great deal of grace and always needs to be done with the sense that we too are sinners who have let God down. Here's my third strategy. 
get into tortoise formation. Get into tortoise formation. In Ephesians 6, where Paul sets out the Christian spiritual army, he mentions the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We probably have in our minds the picture of a small, round shield, the sort of thing you see at those uh, medieval recre- you know, recreations. What you actually have to have in mind is one of those police riot shields, one of those big things. And those are the things that they use to get Roman soldiers into tortoise formation. One soldier would hold his shield over his neighbor on one side, and the man on his other side would hold his shield over him. And the shields would overlap, forming a pattern like a tortoise shell, providing overall protection. Hence, the tortoise formation. We can do that for each other. If someone says something negative or untrue about another Christian, we can protect that Christian. We put our shield over them by refusing to accept what was said or even rebuking the speaker. I know that's not true. I know them. You're mistaken. The pastor and writer Gordon MacDonald was once in Japan walking along a street with a much-loved missionary. And Gordon said something critical of a mutual acquaintance. And the missionary said to him, Gordon, a man of God would not say such a thing about another person. But what if the arrows have got through? What if you're now remembering something dreadful that was said or done to you or someone you love by another Christian? There is only one infallible way to deal with it, and it's my fourth point. The fourth and final strategy for dealing with friendly fire is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's the ultimate weapon against friendly fire. The Greek behind the word forgiveness has the idea of letting go, releasing, leaving. Leviticus 16 sets out how on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the high priest was to place his hands on the head of a goat and confess over it the sins of the people. Their sins were transferred to the goat, which was taken out into the desert and sent away. It was literally the scapegoat. That's where the word comes from. And this later came to symbolize what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our sins were transferred to him. He became the scapegoat, carrying our sins and taking them away. As John the Baptist said of him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now he has done that for us, but for us to benefit from it, we must receive it for ourselves. On many of the uh, lists that come out from the church, we say, please let us know. Did you hear how Tim said, please let us know? Do you know one of the exciting things that Hannah has uh, as our events and communications manager is guessing how many are going to come? And Francesca Collis told me the amusing story that when Freya, who some of you will know was 18 a few years ago, she sent out a mass invitation. She got three replies, Tricia, me, and Margaret McVeigh. And some people said, oh, we didn't reply because you knew that we were coming. She had 80 people coming. But if we're to receive 
the benefits of Jesus taking our sins upon him, we need to reply. We need to receive him as our savior personally for ourselves. And I'm only saying that just in case, like me, many years ago, I had to take that step. And therefore, once we know we are forgiven, that changes everything. For us to forgive means we let go of resentment. And behind that word, I think, is the French word, ressentir, feel again. We stop feeling again what happened at that time. We refuse to go back to that. Although, again, Satan uses our personal cinema. Did you know we all have a personal cinema? Uh, Of course, in Chester Square, they have their own cinemas down on the third floor or whatever it is. But each of us have our own. And it reruns on a loop things that have happened to us. But when we have been forgiven, we forgive others and we turn off that loop. We cut it. It has been cut for us. And we let go any desire, even that they should ask for our forgiveness. We abandon our desire for revenge. Revenge is not our place. Our forgiving someone does not have the power to release them from guilt. They have to be accountable for what they have done. Only God has that power. What it does do is to make possible reconciliation and the restoration of fellowship, particularly with other Christians. Why should we forgive? Because they really did me wrong. They were wrong. For the simple reason that God has forgiven us. If we refuse to forgive someone who has hurt us, it means we haven't fully appreciated how much God has forgiven us. It means we do not understand the significance of the communion, the bread and the wine. That's how far God went for you and me. And indeed, we must forgive. It's not like one of those optional questions on the exam paper. We must forgive, not because the person deserves it, but because God demands it. Now, I must confess, this may not happen suddenly. I don't think it happens suddenly when we've been badly hurt. It will happen, I think, by a gradual process, a step-by-step process of releasing, of refusing to go back when Satan brings it up, of handing it over to God, the words and things that were said and done, with God's help by the Holy Spirit. And he helps us to do what we may not be able to do in our own strength. And the first step may be simply to pray for the person who has hurt you. Pray that God would bless them, even if you don't feel like praying for them. God doesn't say, how do you feel about it? He says, do it. We are called to do it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. People trespass, don't they? They really cross lines they shouldn't have crossed. And by praying, you see, you're bringing them into God's presence. And you're probably saying, Lord, I don't know what to say. I'm so cross and upset, but I am bringing them before you in prayer that you may bless them. And it's a major first step. And I believe gradually as we bring that person regularly before God, the Holy Spirit will change our hearts 
and produce the supernatural fruit, including love and patience and kindness that's set out in Galatians 5. And then you will discover that as you forgive, you are gradually being released from the danger, and here is the danger, of deep-rooted bitterness and resentment. And I have seen people's lives ruined by a refusal to forgive. Is it all too difficult? Well, let me finish with some words of preacher and pastor Ronald Dunn, who wrote a book entitled Surviving Friendly Fire. Surviving Friendly Fire. This is what he said. Do it. Do it now. And you will experience the freedom for which Christ has set you free. And my prayer is that God will grant all of us the strength to forgive in that way. And that we may experience both the freedom and the peace that only he can give. Only he can give. No one else can. Nothing else can. But it's the way to freedom and peace. What we're going to do now, I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to ask the band just to play gently so we have time. And it may be because I believe sometimes God is a gardener. He digs things up. And he may have revealed something, a situ- maybe something you've forgotten from years ago. A phrase from someone, you're no good. Just bring it before God this evening. And as it's communion, uh, we always have people available to pray for you in prayer ministry. If you'd like someone to pray for you about this or anything else, uh, I think we're going to try something new this evening. Just go forward. Having received communion, just go forward to the top rail, and there'll be people there to pray for you. So just receive communion and go forward. All right? So let's have a moment of quiet, and I'm going to pray, and then the band will play to give us space to bring that person, that situation, into God's presence. Heavenly Father, I know that for many this is painful. It's difficult. And we can't do it in our own strength. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, to enable us to do what we can't in our own strength, to bring that person, that situation before you for your blessing. That we may be released from that deadly danger of bitterness and resentment. And that in time, we may enjoy your freedom and your peace that has been won at great cost, even the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister to us, we pray.